Well, last week we started the series that we're calling Blessed, and uh, Julie Bullock, who attends our South Tulsa campus, uh, taught us last week. In fact, would you just give her a hand uh, and thank her for uh, coming and teaching us last week. Now today, I want to start a little bit differently than maybe we ever have before, and I want to start with an illustration, and here's how this is going to play. So at every campus, I want all the men to stand up, okay? So all men stand up. I would say 14 and up, maybe, 15 and up. Stand up, okay? And, and, uh, and I want you to take your wallet out, so take your wallet out, and I want you just to take it and hold it like this, okay? And uh, some of us don't carry wallets, but if you've got a wallet, take it out, all right? Now, here's what I want you to do for just a minute. I want you to, at every campus, I want you to take your wallet and trade with somebody else, just for a second. Just trade with somebody else, just for one second. And if you don't have one, if they don't have one to give you, just give them yours, okay? The deal is everybody who has a wallet, give it to somebody else. Uh, you can't be holding your wallet for this illustration. Now, here's how it's going to play out. At every campus, I want the ushers to come now. And we're going to take an offering, and I want you to reach into that wallet and give like you always wanted to give, okay? Now, now obviously, I'm kidding, but so pass the wallets back and sit down. But, but I, the point I want to make is this. Wasn't it kind of easy to think about giving from someone else's uh, money? But when it's our money, that's when we start to get a little bit nervous, don't we? And this whole series is about recognizing the blessing of God on our lives and what it is we do or how it is we respond when we are blessed. And so when it comes to being blessed, there's this overarching idea. Uh, Julie introduced us to this idea uh, last week that we are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. And, and when you read that, it, it begs the question, when you look at this graphic of we're blessed to be a blessing, right? And this whole thing just goes around and around. Which one comes first is the question, right? Are, are we blessed and then we become a blessing or are we a blessing and, and then we're blessed? It's kind of the chicken and the egg, right? And, and how this plays out. And, and last week, what Julie did is she shared with us the five levels uh, of givers, and I don't know where you found yourself on this uh, list, but it's so helpful to kind of know how the, the playing field and, and to know what it is that where God has us and where God wants us to take us, right? And by the way, this is a game the whole family can play. And, and, and so we start at the beginning and we move on to where uh, God wants to take us. But we talked about the initial giver, the consistent giver, the intentional, the, and then today the surrendered and, and next week the eternal giver. And, and she did a great job. Julie did a great job at, at walking us through that. And really what she did is spent a, most of her time uh, walking through levels one, two, and three with the bulk of her time diving deep on level three, the intentional giver. And, and what she said is the intentional giver is the one who puts first things first. And the illustration she gave is one of the best illustrations I've heard about uh, the intentional giver and the way that we ought to understand the intentional giver. Because all of us who have ever bought any high ticket priced item ha have had this conversation where we sat down maybe with our spouse or we sat down with our children or we sat down with our parents, right? At whatever stage you are in life. And you were thinking about buying that home or you were thinking about buying that car. Or you were thinking about sending this kid to that college, but you're making some major purchase. And at every level of income, that's, that's a different deal, right? When you're a teenager, if I'm going to buy a phone, that's a major purchase, right? But, but you remember this conversation where, where you were trying to figure out, can we do this? And then you look at your spouse and you say, honey, we can do this, but if we do, some things are going to have to change. That is the best illustration I've ever heard about this, right? Because isn't that what you want as the child of God? To give in such a way that, that you look at your spouse, you look at your kids, you look at your family, you look at those around you and you go, hey, Lord, I can give, I can give like this, but if I do, some things are going to have to change. And that's why we call it intentional, or that's why we call it a priority giver. And if you missed last week, you need to go back and watch, uh, in fact, post it on your socials because it's one of the most helpful teachings I've ever heard. In fact, let me just take a sidebar for just a second and, and say to you, uh, the world around you lives on social media. That's where they live. It's where they're spending the bulk of their time. And so you need to spend some time there. I'm not saying you ought to hang out there, but what I am saying is that you ought to use it for the kingdom. 
And you ought to use it for the king of kings. And so when you get on social media, don't just post your latest meal or post, you know, some dress or whatever. Let's talk about what God is doing in our lives. Let's talk about what God is doing in our church. You could help grow your church by simply checking in when you come, every time you come. You, you, you could help grow your church by simply liking and sharing and posting. You could help grow the kingdom of God by simply giving testimony to Jesus about what he's doing in your life. Let's take over what the devil is winning today in the world of social media. And let's put out there what God happens to be doing in, in our lives. And let's put a word out there on a regular basis. And so today I'm going to zero in on that next level uh, of giver, the surrendered uh, giver. And Julie introduced this, but today we're going to dive deep on what does it mean to be surrendered. And remember, she defined it this way. The surrendered giver is someone who gives in a way that changes them. And this is the question that's always on the mind of the surrendered giver. God, am I honoring you with 100% of what you have given me? And the point is this, that God is, so, is, is not so much concerned about what we are giving as he is concerned about what we're not giving and why. Because that so clearly identifies the point at which our trust in him ends. And the surrendered giver gets that and is constantly evaluating this and is constantly talking to the Lord saying, Lord, what am I not giving you and why? And, and, because everything belongs to you. And so today, as we talk about the surrendered giver, we're going to go look at this passage of scripture that illustrates what happens when we honor God and choose to honor him with everything that he has given us and surrender it all to him? So turn over to Mark chapter six, and we're going to look at this story. It's a familiar story, uh, beginning around verse 35 and about goes 10 or 11 verses. And, and this story is called the story of the feeding of the 5,000. How, how many of you heard that story before? Just slip your hand up, okay? And, and so here's what I want to do. We're going to read it. But while we read it, this time what I want you to do is I want you to envision yourself in the story. I want you to make yourself a character in the story. You're one of Jesus' followers. You're one of the posse that's coming along behind Jesus and, and going town to town or going speaking engagement to speaking engagement. And Jesus is the guest speaker in this scenario. And there's a huge crowd, huge crowd. 10, 15, 20,000 people, and they have come from all over, from different towns and different cities, and they have gathered to hear this guest preacher and this guest teacher, this case, Jesus, and he's teaching. And according to the Bible, he's teaching and teaching and teaching, and he's just teaching, right? In fact, Mark said it this way, he had compassion on them, so he taught them. That's, that's key. That Jesus had compassion, and, and so he taught them with his words because he knows the power of his words. He had compassion on them. He saw their condition. They were poor and oppressed. And Jesus sees that. And, and seeing that, he has compassion on them. So what does he do? He teaches them. Now, I just want to love you and bring you along in maturity and, and accountability today that, that one of the most compassionate things I can do as a pastor, as an under-shepherd, is to give you the biblical teaching on giving. It's one of the most compassionate things you could do. Not teaching that is watching a blind man wandering towards a cliff and not saying a word about it. Listen, sometimes I hear people say, Pastor, if you do this series, all people are going to hear is that you want all of their money. And so let me just clear that up right out of the chute and say to you, when I talk about giving, it has zero to do with what I want from you. Zero to do with what I want from you. And it has everything in the world to do with what I want for you. Now there may be churches and there may be some teachers out there and some pastors or on TV people who just want all of your money. I'm just telling you right now, I couldn't care less about your money. I just want you to hear me say that. I want your heart. I want to disciple you. And I've got to give you the full counsel of the word of God. And so one of the most compassionate things I could possibly do is to lay out before you the words of Jesus on this topic. So let's go look at it. Okay. Matthew chapter six and, and, and verse 35. He says, late in the afternoon, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Literally what the Bible says is the day began to wear on. 
and go on and on and on. And, and we've been here the whole day and it is now getting late and, and Jesus is doing what he loves to do. He's loving to teach because he had compassion on them. But now it's getting later and later and later. Let's just assume this was a Sunday morning and it was the church crowd. It's now 11.45 and we're crossing that on our way into noon. And the, you know, the disciples had to be looking at one another and, and, and kind of you know, sharing with one another. And, and they're sharing with one another and they're saying, hey, you think he's on his way to landing the plane? <laughs> he ain't even made a point yet. I don't think he's close to getting, okay, man, it's 1230, right? And we've already missed the first game and we're headed into the second game. And see, are we going to be here till Sunday night football? What is the deal? And how is this whole thing playing out? And, and I think three or four of the disciples may have gathered over here on the side and, and had a little huddle and, and a discussion. And part of the discussion is what are we going to do? This is unbelievable. I mean, it's good. It's really good teaching but I'm starving and we have been here all day and we are in this deserted place. That's, that's another one of the things uh, that the Bible says. It says remote or, or deserted place. In other words, it means there's nothing around here, right? There's no Chipotle, there's no payway, uh, th there's not even a Chick-fil-A or a McDonald's, right? It's a remote and a deserted uh, place. And, and then in verse 36, look what he says. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, the disciples are painting this as if their motivation is for the crowd, do you see that? They're, they're painting it in that way. Hey, the crowds, Jesus, the, the crowds. We, we, we should wrap this up, Jesus, because you know the crowds and they're hungry. Us, we could listen to this for 12 more hours, Jesus. But the crowds, we're, we're concerned about them. And, and so they had this idea and, and they select one among them, right? And probably it was Peter. Peter, you're always saying dumb stuff and, and, and you're always sticking your foot in your mouth. And so you go and, and you talk to Jesus, Peter. And Peter was dumb enough to be the volunteer and said, okay, I, I'll go. And so they push him out there and he walks up to Jesus and, you know, it's probably kind of sheepish at first of, hey, Jesus, Jesus, excuse me, Jesus. You've been teaching and it is so good. In fact, it's great. And the 12 of us we've been talking, we could listen to this all day long, but we've been thinking about the crowds and we think they're hungry. Can you maybe uh, 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 wrap it up? and send everybody home to go get something to eat. Now, I want you to look at Jesus' response, okay? Watch, watch how Jesus responds. But Jesus said, you feed them. You're surrounded by 20,000 people, and you've just interrupted Jesus, and you're thinking he's now going to dismiss everyone to go eat, and instead, he turns it back on you, and he says, no, 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 you feed them. Now, I think there's a deeper principle here that Jesus, remember, had compassion on the crowd. And what did he do? He taught them. That's what Jesus does, right? He's teaching them. The disciples had, quote unquote, compassion on the crowd. And what did they want to do? They wanted to send them out, don't miss this, before the teaching on surrendered giving. Let's not teach that to this crowd. Let, let's leave that out for, for this crowd. Before the teaching on surrendered giving, you say, how do you know that's what he's teaching? That's the object lesson, okay? He never missed it. Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes an object lesson, lesson, you watch it and you're like, I don't know what that had anything to do with it. It was just good and I just threw it in. But, but Jesus never missed it. He's the teacher. They always looked at him and said, he's the teacher, the teacher, the teacher, the teacher of all teachers. He's the master teacher. He teaches us one with authority, right? And, and so here's the master teaching. We know that's what he's teaching on. And so he's, he's teaching on this and Jesus says, you feed them. I've been teaching them the truth. Now what I want you to do, kids, followers of Jesus, disciples, what I want you to do is show them what I've just taught them. I want you to show them what happens when you trust me with what I have put in your hands. And I think what is understood here is I have been feeding them. Now I want you to feed them. 
Jesus had compassion on them, so he fed them the word. Why? Because he is the bread of life, and his words are food for our soul. So, so now he's saying, now, kids, what I want you to do is demonstrate this teaching for me. I want you to be the object lesson for, for those people. Remember what Julie read last week in 2 Corinthians, and I think chapter 9, when, when she said, and your heartfelt giving, that's what Paul wrote, your heartfelt giving will result in people coming to know God. And your heartfelt giving will result in amazing or much thanksgiving. And so Jesus had compassion on them and he taught them and and now they're ready. And Jesus puts it on the disciples to say, now let me watch you live it out for a minute. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy to you that Jesus includes us in what he's doing in the world? That's crazy to me. It's crazy that we get to be included. We get to be invited. We get to be a part. And Jesus says, you feed them, to which they had to have said, excuse me. Well, you said they're hungry. So give them something to eat. Watch what it says. With what? Jesus, with what would we feed them? They asked, we'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. The problem is this. They're viewing this through their physical eyes instead of their spiritual eyes. And and, and another more practical problem is they're viewing this through what they don't have rather than looking at what they do have. And I just want to take a little pressure off of you today and say to you, God is not asking you to give from what you don't have. He's not. He's not doing that. He's asking you to give from what you do have. And the disciples were saying, look, look, to be honest, we, we, we got some money, but it's not enough. It's not. And they were focusing on what they don't have rather than on what they do have. But as soon as you and I surrender up to God what we do have, he multiplies it for his purposes. Now go back to the passage that Julie took us to last week in 2 Corinthians. Remember, Paul is writing to one of the early churches in a city called Corinth, and that church is very, very wealthy. It's a very wealthy church. And in chapter nine, I I think somewhere, verse 10, 9, 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. Now the surrender giver understands this. They recognize this, that God is the one who provides. It is God who gives. It is God who provides. It is God who blesses. It's God who starts this whole thing. He provides what? He provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. Do not miss that. Seed for the farmer and bread to eat. Some to plant and sow and some to consume and eat. And do not miss the order of these two things, some to plant and then some to eat. And he will increase, oh, look what he says. And, and in the same way, in other words, when you get this, when you view it God's way, when you do it God's way and you do it in the order in which God has ordained it, he will provide and he will increase your resources and then he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. See, here's the thing. We will be enriched in every way. Why? To be generous in every way. That's why. Remember the, the equation. We have been blessed to be a blessing. And at times, we're all guilty of saying and thinking, well, if I had more, I would give more. But the truth is, is that sometimes we're so focused on what we don't have that we fail to honor God with what we do have. And when we do that, we short circuit the whole process of what God is trying to do by consuming first and quite honestly, at many times consuming all. So let me ask you this question. If you were God, would you give you more money? That's a tough question, isn't it? But it's a good one to ponder. As you ponder that, let's go back to the story. The story 
where there's a need to feed, right? And all these disciples are involved in this dilemma. So what happens next is this little boy is running by, apparently, and he has a box lunch. Now, his mama is the only one who provided him a box lunch. Out of 15 or 20,000 people, she's the only one that sent a lunch. Or the rest of them were like my kids. Their mama made the lunch, and they left it sitting on the counter. <laughs> But, but he's the only one with the lunch. And, and, and so he, he, he's going by the disciples like, hey, come here, let me see what's in there. And they take his Long John Silver's box and they open it and, and they look in it. And according to the scripture, there's two fish and five rolls or hush puppies, right? And, and, and so he had extra hush puppies. He likes hush puppies, I guess. And, and so he's got his lunch and, and, and you see what's in it. And, and you then ask the question, what are we going to do? Because this is all we have. And you can see Peter, he's eyeballing those rolls. I mean, he, like, he, he just wants to reach in there and just take one of the rolls. And, and, and someone says, I got it. Take this to Jesus, Peter, and tell him this is all we have. And when he hears and sees that this is all we have, he will have to dismiss the service and they'll go get something to eat. Okay, great idea, right? And so Peter takes the lunch and he's stepping over people because there's crowds everywhere, you know, and he's working his way through the crowd and he gets back to Jesus again. Psst, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, Lord, well, uh, um, um, you, you remember how you told us to feed the people? We've been working on it. We've been trying to do what you said, and we've figured it out. This is all we can come up with. This is all we have, two fish and five rows. So we thought maybe, well, you, you go ahead and dismiss. And Jesus interrupts him and says, great, and takes it and says, that's all I need. To which Peter had to have thought, all you need? Are you serious? That's one value meal. I could eat the whole thing right now. Which are the options, aren't they? Always. Consumption or planting. Consumption or, or, or giving it to the Lord, right? He's going to give you both. He's going to give you seed to plant. He's going to give you food to eat. But, but the options are always clear to which Jesus says, no, 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 this is perfect. If you give me all you have, I can work with it. And he says, when you give me all that's in your hands, it's all that I need. Now watch as this plays out. Look at the next verse, verse 39. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Now, I want you to circle the, the two words, uh, green grass. Here it is, green grass. Circle those two words, green grass. And you have to ask yourself the question, why on earth did Mark point that little detail out? He did not point out what kind of fish they were eating. He didn't say crappy or crappie, depending on where you were raised. Louisiana's crappy and Oklahoma's crappie, right? But it's still the best fish because it's the only fish that doesn't taste like fish. And, and so he said, uh, he didn't tell us, is it bass or is it sand bass or is it tilapia? He didn't tell us what kind of fish it is. He didn't tell us anything about what the disciples were wearing. He didn't tell us anything about the color of the sky or the color of the clouds. No other details like that are mentioned, but he goes into great detail to mention that the grass was green. It was a throwback for the followers of Jesus. Do you know the throwback? What does that remind you of in, in the Bible? It's Psalm 23. You remember what it says? The good shepherd makes me lie down in green grass or in green pastures. The whole theme of Psalm 23 is the Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. And Jesus is playing the role of good shepherd here to all of the sheep. And he's leading them into the green grass. And he's saying, hey, we're going to go onto this mountain for a little while. And, you know, next week we'll go to this mountain for a little while. And here's what you got to know about shepherds in the Middle East. They don't have fields of barley and fields of alfalfa that you just open the gate and let the sheep in and shut the gate. It's not like that. It's rocky and it's mountainous. And when the moisture would collect on the rocks and then would, would uh, condensate and then hit the ground, maybe a green shoot would come up under that rock. And so the shepherd is the only one who knows where the shoots are and where the green is and what a green pasture looks like. It doesn't look like what you're envisioning, but the shepherd knows and the good shepherd can get the sheep onto that mountain for a while while they have something to eat. And then he knows it's depleted. He can take them next week and he can go over to this mountaintop. It's not unlike, quite honestly, what my role is for you as an under shepherd, right? To lead and to feed and sometimes intercede. I'm not even all that good at the intercede part, but, but leading and feeding is, is the part that I have to do all the time. And I have to pray as a shepherd and say, God, where are you taking these people? 
And sometimes let's go hang out in this passage for a while. And then we'll go hang out in this book of the Bible for a while. And we'll feed in this way. And you have to listen to the Lord. Which, by the way, I'm, I, we're writing now all the way through Easter. The sermons, all the rough drafts are already written. And we're praying about it. And we're so excited about it. And as we move into 2019, we're going to begin the brand new year with a series we're calling Anointed. And what does it mean to be anointed? And how do you walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God in your life? We're going to begin the year with a seven-day fast. If you don't know how to fast, start studying it now. Because it's coming in January, and we want thousands and thousands of you to participate in a fast for seven days. We're going to do seven days of prayer in the morning, but we're going to do that series for about a month. And then, and then we're going to turn the corner and, and we're going to look at chapter by chapter through a book of the Old Testament called the Song of Solomon, which is about biblical relationships. And what does it mean through the month of February to have a, a biblical relationship? And, and here's what I know about biblical relationships. The devil will do everything in his power to get you in the bed to have sex before you're married. And after you're married, he'll do everything within his power to keep you out of the bed and to keep you from having sex with one another. And we're gonna look at, at a R-rated book in the Bible through the Song of Solomon. And, and then we're gonna jump into the seven I am's in the book of John, going one after another for seven weeks, leading all the way up up to Easter, where we'll end that series with, I am the resurrection and the life. And so I know where we're going. Listen, the shepherd leads, and here's the good, good shepherd. I'm just an average one. And the good, good shepherd is saying, hey, I will set you down in this green grass, and I'm going to feed you. And he was trying to make a point, and you shall not want. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to take care of all of your needs. You sit down in the green grass for a little while. I'm the good shepherd. And the greatest blessing you and I could ever have in our lives, listen, it's not the material blessings. The greatest blessing we could ever have in our lives is to have a good shepherd who knows how to get us to what we need and knows how to get us to the green grass and, and the still waters. He knows where to take us and he knows how to bless us. And so now you're a disciple. Remember, you're in the story. And now you got to go back and report. Jesus said, nope, not ending, right? And so you come over to the other disciples and you're like, they're like, hey, is he going to dismiss? No. He's not going to dismiss. What's he going to do? Why, why is he gonna, what are we going to do? We got two fish and five loaves and all of this murmuring. He, he wants us to feed them. Feed them. We got five hush puppies. If we had 500 hush puppies, it wouldn't be enough to feed all of these people, which is the argument the enemy always provides to you and me. It's the argument of scarcity. That there won't be enough. If I give, I won't have. If I plant, I won't eat. And, and what Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to give you both. I'm going to give you seed to plant and food to eat. I'm, I'm going to provide. Scarcity is a worldly concept. It is not a heavenly concept. It is not an eternal concept. My, any of your families ever play the game Monopoly? I'm like, amazing. At Monopoly. And, and uh, last time Meredith and I played was on our honeymoon. And, and I had 18 hotels. So just count the properties. I think there's like 24 of them. I had 18 hotels. And she had those crappy blue ones, the light blue ones, you know, right around you pass go. And, and that's all she had, Oriental and Mediterranean or something, Mandarin or something. I don't remember what it is. And, and it's not like the, the Mandarin hotel. This is like, you know, junk. And, and you turn the corner and, and she flipped the whole board over. All the pieces and money went every should I quit. I'm like, you're not quitting. You can mortgage Oriental. And, and like, I wanted to totally dominate the whole thing. And she's like, I'm never playing this game. And she's kept her work. She never played it, but my children love it. But now we don't just have that junky game with the, you know, the pieces of paper that are increments of 10, uh, 50, uh, 100, and 500. That's the biggest bill in the, in the old game is the $500 bill. And, and the new game, it's a little round computer and you stick a credit card, which is horrible teaching to these children, in one side and, and the other side. And Boardwalk is not, you know, $3,000 anymore. It's $3 million. And the rent with a hotel is like 20 million, which is a big mistake. But you just punch in the numbers with all the zeros and it puts it on your card. And here's the thing about that game. There's no limit. You don't run out of cash. And in the worldly mindset, you live with a scarcity mindset that says there's only so much. And in order to get more, we have to print more. And we know that creates inflation, right? And depending on your political view, you're just all up in arms about all of that. But with God, he's saying, no, no, no. It's not about how much cash is printed. I, I spoke it all into existence. And God has to be sitting up in his throne, watching all of his kids play with all of our land and all of our money and all of our resources and all of our real estate and all of these investments. As, and he has to view it like a bunch of monopoly money. He doesn't want all of that. Are you kidding me? He said one word and that was created. 
He wants your heart and there is no scarcity in the kingdom of God. And so now you got to direct all of these people into groups of 50 and 100. And I don't know how much directing of people you've ever done, but most of them don't cooperate all the time. All of you sheep are not always that bright, right? And so you don't always cooperate. Sometimes you're asking questions. Like, why are we going over here? And like, could you just sit down in groups of 50? Shh, just be quiet for a minute. Just get in groups of 100. And some big guy's like, you going to feed us? Hey, be quiet. I don't know what we're doing. I'm just following the mat. Just sit down for a minute. And so they're all sitting in groups of 50 or 100. And I, a pastor that I know of, here's what he says about this text. He says that he thinks at this point the people figured it out. And the reason he suggests that is because there was an Old Testament story about a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha one time fed 100 people with 12 loaves of bread. And so they're looking at this Jesus and they're going, didn't he raise somebody from the dead? I think Elisha did that. Didn't he feed these people? I, I, I think Elisha, I, I, this guy's done a lot of stuff. He's going to multiply. That's what he's going to do. Now watch as this plays out as Jesus in, in verse 41, he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Do not miss these three verbs. Took, looked, and blessed. That's the order. Took, looked, and blessed. He took it from the disciples. What, what does that mean? Well, it's very self-explanatory. We know what that means. It means that the disciples gave it to him. They handed it to him and he took it. He did not snatch it. That is not his MO. He does not do that, right? He initiates by giving to us and then he tests us with it. And he tests us in the process. And here's the deal. They could have taken the disciples, that one lunch, gone back into the green room and sat down and consumed it and shared it with one another, gone back out to Jesus and said, Jesus, we didn't find anything. Remember, they could have consumed it instead of planted it. Some for planting, some for eating. And instead, they handed it over to Jesus and they gave it to him. In fact, according to the scripture, they gave it all. Well, what did they do? They surrendered what they had. It didn't seem like much. And it probably clearly did not seem like enough. But Jesus took what they had. And here's two key points about multiplication when we talk about moving into the level of the surrendered giver. Here's the first point. It has to be given to the Lord before it can be multiplied. In order for something to be multiplied, it has to be given first. In other words, we can't hold on to it and ask God to multiply it. We can't hoard it and ask him to bless it. Even he can't do it. The only way Jesus could bless the fish and bless the loaves is if the disciples gave it. And the only way, hear me church, this is the compassion of the shepherd teaching you. The only way that Jesus can multiply your resources is for you to first give them to him. That's why we are so emphatic of uh, continued opportunities for you to participate in an over and above way in kingdom giving. That's why we do every Christmas, the Christmas offering, this annual compassion offering that we do every Christmas. And we pray about three things that we wanna fund the next year over and above the normal budget. And next year, we're gonna fund, first of all, TC Toys, where we'll see hundreds of people give their life to Jesus. We're gonna fund TUL Nights, which is a new initiative where we're seeing thousands of teenagers come and not just come saved. And then we send them back to their youth groups, to their church all over the city and bring life into their church. And as they bring life into their church, we're praying revival happens in the church, the kingdom all, all over the city of Tulsa. And then thirdly, we're going to continue to put money in the Middle East and what God is doing in Egypt and in Jordan, which it just feels so crazy. At TC Egypt and TC Jordan, it feels like this locomotive that as much coal as you'll shovel into the steam engine, it will continue to go that fast. It's a hyper, hyper growth. Last year, they led 2,700 people to Christ in Egypt. That's a mega church. And, and that's last year. And, and, and God's hand is all over it. And so we're going to fund those three things. Why? Because we want to reach all people of all ages all the time. And, and that's where this Christmas offering is going to go. Listen, he can't bless us when our fists are clenched. He can't. The, the only way he can bless us is when our hands are open. And in God's eyes, hear me, opening our hands has so much less to do with what it is we are letting go of 
than it does being in a posture to receive his blessing. He's not all that concerned about that little thing that you're offering up. You say little, and for some of you, maybe it's millions. It's little in God's eyes. You say, well, I can give a dollar. It's little in God's eyes. The point is not what you're giving, it's what's left. Because he wants your heart. And so the posture of you opening your hands has very little to do with the trinket that you're going to give to the Lord. It has everything in the world to do with your hands being open so that you can receive from him. And by the way, this is why so many people never see their resources multiplied. It's exactly what we talked about before. They don't fully surrender to God. They, They hold back. So it has to be given to the Lord before it can receive multiplication. That's the first part. The second principle, look at it. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. And God will multiply what he blesses and he will bless what you give him. Remember, he took, he looked, and he blessed. Apparently, when we give, it gets God's attention and he looks and he saw it. He looked and then he blessed. And his promise of multiplication is incredible. Look at what he says. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving, underline those two words, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone. Say everyone. For everyone to share. What did he do? He kept giving. Did he stop giving? No, he didn't stop giving. He kept giving. That's multiplication. In other words, you wouldn't have seen this miracle take place had they not brought it to the Lord. Had they consumed it, had they eaten it, you would never see this miracle. He did not bless it and just hand it back to them. He blessed it and he kept giving and he kept giving. That is the definition of multiplication. And it was only possible because Jesus took it and then blessed it. Look at verse 42. They all, say all, ate as much as they wanted. Say wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. They all ate as much as they wanted. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will not be in want because he is my shepherd. Which, by the way, the boy ate too. And I bet you he ate more than two fish and five loaves. How do I know that? Well, there were 12 baskets left over. Certainly he ate all that he wanted before he said, can you put this in a doggy bag? Verse 43 And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. In other words, it wasn't just bread left. The fish was left too. And a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. Now, here's the principle that you need to write down. When we don't give God the leftovers, there tend to be leftovers. When we don't give God the leftovers, there tend to be leftovers. Listen, Planting and then eating, planting and then eating. When we eat and give God what's left over, there are no leftovers because we have short-circuited the process of multiplication. It has to be blessed before it can be multiplied. So, so we begin on this journey as an initial giver. And that's the point where you as a believer, you as a baby uh, Christian, you as a a man or a woman who's been walking with Christ for a little while, you you come into this thing called local church, the bride of Christ, and you say, I think I'm going to give. I I think I'm going to give this initial gift. I've never done that before, but I'm about to cross this little line, and I'm going to give this gift uh, uh, in faith, and I'm going to give it to the Lord, an initial giver. And let me just say to you, this year, since January 1st, 800 of you became initial givers across TC. Would you give them a hand today? Awesome. Awesome. This is so awesome. And maybe your first day is today. Maybe you'll be an initial giver today for the very first time. Maybe your day's not today. Maybe it's next week or the next week. But when your day comes and you're ready to get to that place where you're just going to trust God one time with with a little gift, we'll be so proud of you. An, An initial giver. But, but then we move past the initial gift to, hey, I'm going to give one time, to we're going to become consistent in our giving. 
What does that mean? It means I'm going to set it up online, right? At the first and the 15th of every month, when, it, when I get paid, I'm going to do this consistently, whether I'm in town or out of town, on vacation, whether Alex is here or he stunk it up today. It, it doesn't matter. I, I'm going to be consistent with it. Whether the worship was great or the small group was fascinating or whatever, I'm going to be consistent because the Lord has been consistent with me and I'm growing to this place of consistency in, in my giving to when you get to that place, we say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Congratulations on your growth step. And, and then we move down to intentional giver or, or, or a priority giver. This is when we say we're going to give the first and we're going to give the best to the Lord. Remember, it's going to change us. I, I can do this, but some things are going to have to change. In fact, let me just comment on the tithe for a second here. Last week, Julie pointed out that the tithe is not ceremonial law. It's a moral law. The truth is, is it existed before any law. When you go back to Moses and Melchizedek, this was long before the mountain, long before the Ten Commandments, long before any law that you would give a tenth back to God. And so it's existed throughout time. But here's what happens when pastors only talk about the tithe, when that's the only word and that's the only standard in which we use as the tithe. Julie said it this way. There's either output oppression for those of you who can't figure out how on earth you'd ever get to a tenth. And because you can't figure out how to get to a tenth, and that's the only standard that's ever been mentioned, you live in oppression and you, and you don't do anything. And therefore you forfeit initial and consistent and never become intentional. But the other side of it is output pride. When all you talk about is the tithe, then people grow and get to the tithe and they have pride about it and they never grow beyond it. And God's saying, hey, no, 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 don't get stuck there. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Remember I talked about it a few weeks ago in adulting? I never came home one time when my first child was an infant, a baby, and, and becoming a toddler. And Meredith said she fell 98 times a day. It was always, hey, she took a step and a half today. And, and God is just wanting to, you to just put your palms around his hands and hold his hands. It's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he's just encouraging you in this baby step. Thank you for becoming a, an initial giver and trusting me with your heart. And, and now I want you to, come on, come on, come on, take a few steps and I want you to become consistent in this thing. And now I want you to be intentional and I want it to be a priority in your life because I want to be the priority in your heart. Now I want you to go beyond that. I want you to be surrendered with everything that you have. And now I want you to think about eternity and I want you to store up treasure in heaven that will not rust and no moth will destroy. And, and I want you to get this thing that's about forever and ever. And God is saying, I don't want you just to walk. I want you to run and I want you to run. And then I want you to skip. And then I want you to jump. And then I want you to climb mountains and I want you to jump out of airplane. And I want you to live this life of adventure because I am your good shepherd and I am your daddy and surrendered giver is the one who says, I'm gonna honor God with everything. And that's when we begin to see the principle of multiplication play out in our lives. And here's the thing, God is probably not asking many of you to give 100% of your resources. If he does, that's between you and God, right? And I'll just confess to you, there have been times in my life, a few of them, where God said, I want you to empty out the savings and I want you to give it. There's a few times where God said, I want you to give these cars away. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Every time I ended up in a place where I could declare, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it's incredibly exciting, by the way, to get off where your toes are hanging off that diving board or off the edge of that cliff. And you're like, here I go, Lord. I feel like this is what you want me to do. And I feel like I'm going to try. And I'm going to go. Are you going to catch me, God? Are you there, God? W w put your hands like this, God. You know, and this whole journey, right? Now, are you sure you're going to get me? Are you sure you're going to get me? And here I come, you know, and, you, and you're going to go and you're just going to trust the Lord because it's what he told you to do. And if he's not telling you to do that, that's foolish. In fact, in scripture, he has only asked two people to ever give everything, to sell it all and give it all. He doesn't ask you on a regular basis to give him everything, but he does ask all of us all of the time to honor him with 100% of what he puts in our hands. So let me ask you this question. Are, are you doing that? Are, are you moving towards that? Where are you on the giving journey and, and what is your trajectory? Because by the way, it's possible to get to step three and then go backwards to step two. So where are you on the journey and which way are you pointing? And, and, and which way are you going? And, and are you honoring God with 100% of what he has given you? Because God 
is not all that concerned about what it is that we give. He is much more concerned about the posture of our hearts. Are we surrendered to him? Therefore, he is more concerned with what we are not giving and why. And here's the thing about the gospel. It's full of grace. It's full of grace. And its power lies in God alone to work in us and to work through us. It's a grace thing. And the power of the gospel, hear me, is in giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The power of the gospel is in giving. The gospel is about giving. And so if you currently aren't a giver, or you aren't a giver consistently, or you aren't a giver uh, that, that gives in such a way that it changes you, I don't want you to feel condemnation today. I want you to feel grace. And I want you to hear his invitation. Hey, hey, hold my fingers. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I, I want you to hear the invitation from the Lord that he is inviting you to a better way. And he's inviting you to a way that points you towards heaven. He's inviting you to a way that that puts you in position to be blessed. And listen, God gives us grace so that we can show grace. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing. That's what surrendered giving is. And when we surrender fully to God in generosity, we're letting the power of the gospel work through us and, and in us to allow God to multiply it and to do incredible things in his name and by his strength. You you remember when I said, pull out your wallet? Of course, that's like 10 minutes ago. Remember the point of it? It's easy to give someone else's money. But when it's our money, that's when we get checked up. And that's the point. We need to stop thinking about it as our money. That money in your wallet, it belongs to Jesus. And we end up in problems when we start thinking about it as ours. I'm talking about getting to the place where God does a work in your heart, where you say, it's all yours, God. I surrender all of it to you. That's the heart of the gospel message. Jesus gave it all so that we may experience eternity with him. All of it. And he is inviting us to acknowledge that truth and surrender our lives to him. And the greatest thing is to have a good shepherd who will watch over us when we live lives that are surrendered to him. To be able to give when he says give because we understand it's all his to begin with. Surrendered. Says all of my life, Lord, is to be used for you. Your name, your glory, your renown. Not mine, but you. Did you remember last week that Julie said she used to call the surrendered giver the sacrificial giver. And she changed it because she started studying the New Testament in relationship to sacrifice. And what she said is that the word sacrifice only appears in two ways, not two times, it appears lots of times, but in two ways in the New Testament. And the first way is Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. Right? End of the Old Testament sacrificial system. The second way is found in Romans chapter 12, where it says that you and I are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, pondering on the sermon last week on Monday morning, I got up really early and I started reading that passage again and God just showed me something. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. That is so key. In view of the mercy of God, in view of the grace of God, in view of the blessing of God, I'm going to offer. He initiates this whole thing. In other words, he sets it up in view of what he's doing and what he has already done, right? He's not asking me to give what I don't have. He's asking me to give what I do have. But in view of the mercy of God on my life, a surrendered giver is only surrendered because God gave to them first, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You you, you could say this is true and surrendered worship. Surrendered. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, it's about transformation. It's not about confirmation or or conformity. What's conformity? Conformity is taking on the pattern of something, but the substance stays the same. That's what conforming to something is. You don't change. It just looks like you you change, right? It's like the the high school kid who's into hip hop decides he wants to hang out with the preppy kids. 
So he pops his collar and wears a polo, but, but, but in his closet, he's listening to Jay-Z. He didn't really change. It just looks like he, he changed. But God is calling us to be surrendered givers, to be transformed. Well, what's that? Well, the illustration I love to use here is the illustration of marriage. Because it's a transforming relationship, isn't it? By the way, it is the illustration Jesus chose to use to portray our relationship with him. Because when you're dating, you're in the conformity stage. So what do you mean by that? Dating is the conformity stage. It's where you are pretending to be alike, right? It's where you pretend to be alike. That's where the female's like, I love football. And I love to ride in the cart while you hit that little white thing. And, and, and I love these things, right? That's conformity. You're pretending to be alike. It's where the male's like, Broadway, I love it. Take me to every musical, right? You're pretending to be alike, but then you get married and you don't have time to do all this pretending anymore, right? But something amazing begins to happen over time. Transformation. That, that means the more you're around them, the more you take on them and you take on their likes and their dislikes and you actually do change. And now you will sit through a Broadway show with your wife and actually get involved in the story. You, you, you will go to the football game with your husband and even paint your face. Listen, this is the picture that God drew of this relationship with him. It is a marriage. And the principle is this, is everything I have is theirs. And everything they have is mine. And that's the relationship with your heavenly father where you say, God, everything I have is yours. And when he trusts you in that manner, he says to you, and everything I have is yours. And we began talking about somebody else's wallet and their money, right? The truth is, is that money belongs to Jesus. And surrendered people know that and they understand that principle. Let, let's stand together at every campus. And, and as you stand, I, I, I just want to coach you today through a little illustration. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, but I want you to open your heart. And what I would like you to do in, in, in a posture of humility, just with a bowed head and closed eyes. I want you to take your dominant hand and I want you to make a fist with it right in front of you. And, and even because it's your dominant hand, when you, when you squeeze tightly, it's very natural. You can feel it. You can feel it as it closes, it begins to squeeze tightly because it's dominant. You're used to gripping things and grabbing things. And just for a moment, I, I want that hand, that clenched fist to represent whatever it is that you're not giving to the Lord. The place at which you said, God, I'll give you up till this point, but, but I'm not giving you any more. I want it to represent that wayward kid in your life that you're afraid to let go of. I, I want you to let it represent the rent and you're wondering where it's gonna come from. I, I want you to let it represent the rent, it's already late, or, or, or trusting your spouse again, or that disease, or, or, or that infection, or whatever it is. Whatever it is you're clinging on to, I, I just want you to let it represent that in your hand at this moment. And as a child who trusts their father, I just want you to open it and leave it open and palm up. Just, just release it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I, I'm your kid. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. and I trust you. And, and, and I just offer it up to you. Take it. It's yours. And now with your non-dominant hand, would you just do the same thing? Just right there beside that open palm. Just take your other hand. It's not nearly as natural, is it? To clench and to grab. In fact, you have to force it to, to, to really clench. And I just want you to take it and open it as if to say to the Lord, and I'm ready to receive from you. I I'm ready to receive from you. And, and these two hands are, are the posture that we bring before the Lord. We surrender on the one hand everything to him, but, but on the other hand, now we have two empty hands ready to receive a blessing falling right out of heaven into us and onto us and into our family and onto our lives. And we all need to say, Lord, this is how I want to live before you, with open hands. And so with our hands open before the Lord, just to de demonstrate this posture at every campus with open hands, I want us to declare those two truths 
and song this morning. Let, let's sing together at every campus.